You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Welcome to another episode of The Luxury Item Podcast. My special guest today is Thomas Serrano, president of Havas Events North America and Havas Lux. Both companies are divisions of Havas Worldwide, one of the five largest global marketing and advertising agency networks. Thomas launched Havas Lux in New York in 2008. Havas Lux is a luxury event agency specializing in the design and production of meaningful and memorable experiences. Thomas uses hands-on approach to collaborate with local or international prestige, premium, and luxury clients to make their dream a reality. For the last 24 months, Thomas has been focusing on a new offer of Havas Events North America. This division focuses on corporate events and have successfully produced events for the Wall Street Journal, the Future of Everything Festival, KPMG, ExxonMobil, and L'Oreal. Fluent in French, Spanish, and English, Thomas travels to keep his fingers on the pulse of the fashion and marketing industries. He has brought his innate understanding of luxury culture to clients like Bulgari, Audemars Piguet, Van Cleef & Arpels, Dom Perignon, Elizabeth Arden, Hugo Boss, IWC, Breitling, Remy Quantro and Swarovski. I'm thrilled to have him on the show today. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you, Scott. I love that whole idea of you making clients um, their dream a reality. Do you do that for people too? Could you make my dream a reality too? <laughs> I will. I'm not really good with with um, because usually, you know, the funny story is that in the U.S., if I go to um, a regular, you know, not a, non, a non-business place. People will say, what do you do? I say, I do special events and they think I do weddings. <laughs> so they think I will make their reality, you know, their dream becoming true, but I don't. I don't think I will be really good with a bride, but I think we are really good with, and family, I think, but we're really good with uh, CMOs and CEOs. I'd love to uh, have you share uh, with the audience about Havas Lux and Havas Events and what the difference is and how you work um, with the larger agency, with Havas Worldwide. Yeah, so when I landed in New York in 2008, I had a luxury background, lived in Paris for 10 years prior to that, so that was my strength. Actually, my former boss used to say that my first strength in a meeting was my French accent <laughs> uh, for a luxury client. But uh, seriously, yes, we dedicated the agency to premium prestige and luxury brand designing very uh, special, you know, moment for those companies, usually when they want to launch a new product or uh, when they have an annual event. And uh, recently, we decided to launch that new company, which is called Havas Event North America, which is that time, I guess, taking all the creativity we developed uh, for the last 11 years for luxury brand and also bring it to now to corporate, uh, to the corporate world, which I think is a win-win situation. And uh, really quickly, we got really large client uh, interested by uh, that approach where we bring creativity and we bring a lot of design and sophistication. Because think about it, when you're a large corporation and you want to gather either your best client or your best employee, it is not named a luxury event, but it has to be sophisticated. It has to be meaningful. You want to make sure that all the details are taken care of. And that's what I've been trying to do for the last 20 years. So Large corporations feel comfortable with us. And in addition, we bring some element of creativity that maybe they don't have with a regular production company that just make the event perfect, but not desirable and maybe not as attractive as we do it. Right. So when you launched it in 2008, what was the luxury market like and where did 
Where did you see a need for, you know, having a, an agency specifically, you know, focusing on, on luxury clients and, uh, and events for luxury clients? So we started in April 2008. The, the market was strong. And uh, we came with that uh, idea of bringing really meaningfulness and some very memorable events. So there was a lot of production company in the U.S., but very few were inclined to do creativity and production. Uh, there was only one little problem is that the crisis came in September of 2008, mm -hmm. and we had really large activation for Cartier, for Aston Martin at that time. They all canceled. Complete, 100%. So in 2009, we were basically in trouble because most of the clients, even though they were still doing fine financially, uh, like a Hermes, for example. Hermes, I remember, used to give white bag to their clients when they're coming out of the store. Bentley was postponing, postponing the delivery of their car because some people in the neighborhood was like, my two neighbors lost their job. I don't want my brand new Bentley this month. Could you postpone it for a couple of months? So 2009 was a tough one for us. Thanks God we had a few clients who still needed, you know, to do some special right. events. Right. But uh, I think our unique asset is really uh, creativity. And that's where we bring maybe something a little bit new to the market, where in New York you have a lot of solid corporation who are going to production agencies, but we are bringing the creativity that maybe those production agencies were not delivering on. Right. So when the financial crisis upended the market and people started thinking about luxury or how they show off luxury to people, how did that affect the types of events maybe in 2009 that you put on for some of these um, luxury clients? Were they more low-key or just ahead is really focused on heritage and story and less about flash and ownership? Yes, it was, uh, it was a shift. So one of the first thing was the guest list. We used to have really large events. Those events became more intimate. Uh, so less people was one of the first uh, reactions. The second one was obviously to do it in a place that is also intimate. So it was not about showing off at a party where everybody will, will, will be seen. It was more about uh, intimacy and a little bit of, you know, secrecy. So we, and also it was going back to true authenticity. So as you said about the heritage, what was the storytelling behind uh, the product? And it was less about showing up and it was more about being meaningful, which was great to us because that's that's what we believed in since the beginning. We've never been too much of a show-off agency. We don't do fashion. We only do hard luxury, which is really right. different. And uh, I think after the crisis, we... Uh, kick off super fast because that was basically in our DNA to tell meaningful stories and to be authentic. And that's why the crisis kind of, you know, provoked. Right. Who is one of the first or one or two clients that, you know, after the crisis came back? So one of them is a family business is Audemars Piguet. Right. Uh, they came really strong. Uh, so in the watch industry, you have to remember that in 2008, um, most of the luxury uh, watch companies didn't control retail. So a lot of their watches were basically, you know, minus 70% in the marketplace. People were just trying to sell the inventory and it was horrible for the branding uh, of those companies and the reputation. And I think Udomar Piguet is one of the ones that came really strong uh, after that, decided to take over and control their retail and um, decided also to, to make sure that uh, they were going back to their core, uh, which was the Royal Oak Offshore, mm -hmm. and developed a lot of limited edition. 
And that was also a way of making sure that when you wear that watch, it has a number, it's very, it feels very special. So again, about uh, making sure that you're not showing up, but you just have something that has a lot of value to you where a uh, tremendous uh, piece of uh, craftsmanship. Right. Um, and that's, I always remember, you know, uh, François-Henri Benamias, who is the global CEO, and my client always said the best marketing tool, if you want someone uh, not to argue anymore about the price of the watch, is to come with me in Le Brassus, spend a couple hours at the factory. Maybe at the end of the tour, you cannot afford all the watches we're selling, but you will never tell me again that they're not worth the price we're selling them. And I think that was uh, going back to, you know, the essence of what luxury is. Yeah, it's interesting. It's all about storytelling. And while now you're seeing all the rage with these direct-to-consumer brands, where storytelling is, is part of who they are and their DNA and why consumers are attracted to them, luxury was doing this a long time ago. Yes, I think it has been uh, always uh, part of the luxury, uh, you know, obviously brand. The main challenge for those brands when I go and talk to them is that they have a lot to say because they'll have a lot of archives and there's a lot of storytelling, but you still want to remain a contemporary brand. So you don't want to be perceived as a brand that has a lot in the past, but maybe feels a little bit old or dusty. So our job is to make sure that we're inspired by the heritage of the brand. We take it into account. We find some unique asset that our brand has that nobody else could do but make sure that it is still a contemporary brand that will be perceived modern by the new generation. So it's always about, you know, balance in life right. and it's the same about branding. Yeah, you. I was looking at a article that you had written on uh, on the Havas Lux website and uh, it was called Special Events Are Not So Special Anymore. And just let me read this one sentence. It said, today, many companies are designing and producing events that are not special. As any type of event can rack up a hefty budget so it is crucial in ensuring that it goes above and beyond. Therefore, events could be seen as very expensive cost with poor ROI when not special. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, now with digital, uh, everybody was telling us that special events were going to be less and less uh, of a need. And I think it's basically the opposite is happening. Uh, but the problem of a special event is for many companies, it's only about gathering good people in a good venue and basically with good food. And that's nothing to do with a special event. A special event has to have that uniqueness that comes from the brand, the authenticity of that brand, and making sure that is also very memorable. So, I, you know, I could explain a bit longer what all that means, but it's obviously every time you do an event, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And it means that you are going to ask people who are usually really busy, either your employee or your best client of journalists, to come to you and spend a couple hours with you. And you want to make sure that it's worth it for them to enjoy it, but also for them to get the message. It's not only about having a good time. It's about having a relevant time with whatever the marketing message you want to convey and making sure that, you know, they take it home right. uh, and they take it, uh, you know, back to their computer when they're writing an article, they take it back to their retailers, whatever the, you know, whatever the context is. And uh, too many people are just putting on their calendar a bunch of special events without making sure that they are truly special. And this is where clients are coming to us and they say, this one is too unique for us. Once a year, we, ga we gather our best client. Once a year, we gather our best journalist, our best influencer. Could you help us making sure that it is truly special for the client, obviously, but also for the brand? 
Yeah, it's and I think the way you position it, and I think the way Havas Lux position is, you, you say meaningful and memorable. And that word is tossed around quite a bit, and meaningful and memorable. And memorable could be, you know, fireworks going off, you know, at an event, but that might not be appropriate for luxury clients. So what is your definition of meaningful and memorable? Meaningful and memorable when it comes to luxury clients and throwing events for them. So meaningful to us has um, there's two sides. The first one is obviously the brand. So we always study the brand a lot and making sure that what we're going to do is so unique that nobody else could do it. So if How you do take you do a, that? So if you take a jewelry brand and you're going to do an event for Von Cleef or you're going to do an event for Bulgari, you want to make sure that when you put the event together and you start to all look at the runoff show and the decor and whatever you're putting together, you want to make sure that this is not something that you know someone else could do so we go back to archive obviously there's also just our culture of being you know in the in the luxury business for the last 20 years so we know the dna of a quartier you know versus a iwc if i go into watches versus audemars piguet so that's the first thing you want to make sure that that event is going to be um truly unique to that brand heritage and secondly when we say meaningful we have to make sure that it's also meaningful to the audience, meaning that the audience is going to be attracted to that event, that is going to mean something to them. If it's just to invite them to another launch party or another anniversary, how do they connect? How do we make sure that this, there's a desire for them to, to come? How do you communicate from the beginning, not only the day of, but how do you tease about the event? How do you communicate with uh, a true invitation, with some type of potentially media coverage before. So you want to make sure that those people feel that it is exclusive and they're going to have a special access. So that's that's where the magic starts to come. You know, it's not about traffic. It's about magic. Is when do you bring, like, not too many people, but only a few, and those are the relevant ones that you want to have on your, on your guest list. Secondly, when you go to memorable, is we're leveraging emotion. And as you know, it's when you leverage emotion that people can remember better things. So the rationale is usually delivered by clients. You know, they give us the specificity of the product, why the product is more efficient or is more beautiful. It's all about the, obviously, the aesthetic. It's not about the function because obviously a luxury item, it's not, uh, it's not something that is necessary. But when we go into memorable, we try to, so we have a, there's a, there's a bunch of, tools, like you said, it could be a fireworks, it could be a beautiful video, it could be a show, it could be a ballet, it could be... We want to make sure that whatever we're going to use in that uh, that tool specific, it's going to be, again, um, making a little bit of magic happen. And it doesn't have to be long. It could be a couple seconds, it could be a couple minutes, but at one point you want to connect emotionally and making sure that everybody is going to be, um, you know, in tune with you. So that's where it becomes really exclusive. But as of today, we also want to include as many people as possible. So when you say memorable, you want it memorable for a couple hundred potentially who attended, but also memorable maybe for a couple thousand, a couple million of people who are not physically attending, but will be connected to the event through some different social media platform. So I guess that's the evolution of a luxury event now is that, you are maybe not invited. Maybe you didn't go to Cannes, my hometown, mm -hmm. for a special event for the, I don't know, for the film festival. Or you didn't go to Miami to that Art Basel very special party um, in December every year. But you had connection uh, through the Facebook platform, the Twitter or the Instagram platform. And you started to be part of that audience that is also engaging with the brand, engaging with the event without physically attending. So it's important that whatever event 
you put on that their social media plays a huge part of it for the people that aren't in it. And it's still not only does it have to be brand relevant for the people in the event, it has to be brand relevant, the people that are on social media, on Instagram, wherever it is, um, that they have that same feeling, despite them not being there. Yeah, which is another science, uh, because you have to think it through. Uh, that's not something that you do last minute on saying, hey, we, what, what are we, uh, are we just taking a few pictures and posting them on Instagram? Because same, you know, it's about the quality of the, of this, of the storytelling. And, um, funny enough, uh, we have some clients who said, this is such a special event. It's about high end jewelry. We, we, we are presenting, you know, the best collection and we don't want to tell the story online. Um, and what happened is that when the guests arrive, the first ladies enter the room, the first thing they do is that they take their phone, they go on Instagram and they take pictures of the room. Right. So, you know, you have to anticipate that now it's part of the daily life of the consumer too. So as a brand, if your clients are going to do it and put it online, you may want to make sure that you are also communicating and making sure that the pictures that are posted and everything, it looks as beautiful as the event. So there is no way you can escape now social right, media. Right. Uh, we cannot prevent those ladies while, you know, potentially buying uh, millions of dollars of jewelry every year to let them know, like, no, there is no posting on Instagram today. Uh, so <laughs> it's part of the it's part of the mix. Do you work closely with the CEO? Yes. Uh, CEO is always involved in such an event because we're touching on a very special moment every time. Is it, you know, for example, the launch of a new product? So the CEO is always uh, attending the event, which is also part today of uh, the exclusivity. If you're a client, you're expecting that the CEO of that brand is going to be there and you're going to be able to talk to him. So we always have discussion with the CEO also about what is he going to do at that event? How is he going to welcome people? For example, I always say, go under 300 people. If you want to be a CEO and you want to at least have the opportunity to say hello and chit chat with everybody, uh, after 300 is an impossible mission. Under 300, you can. So we always have very um, deep conversation with the CEO to make sure that he feels comfortable with the event, he feels comfortable with the runoff show, and we also give him something to do, uh, either at the beginning, uh, with a welcome speech, potentially at the end also. And it is uh, part of those assets that we have, and we want to make sure that we leverage him or her the best possible for, for the client attending. What is your ROI on, on an event? So, yeah, it really depends because every event uh, is going to be measured uh, differently. First is what, what type of event, you know. So uh, we do also in the luxury field a lot of leadership meeting. So those are only for the employees. So this is a pretty easy one. Um, because they usually run a survey to the attendees at the end and you can compare your after year uh, satisfaction and you can see where uh, you are making progress and if there is still some uh, weaknesses. So the ROI is basically about making sure that people are educating. Every year you keep educating them about the company, making sure that you thank them for, com for, for coming and you make them feel, feel special. And we try to have that third element, which is the element of surprise that you cannot really measure maybe in a survey. Uh, you know, when you get some goosebumps or when your heartbeat starts to go a little bit faster, <laughs> that's difficult to measure in a survey. So that's why I said you cannot measure 100% of the success of an event. Now, if you go with an event, which is obviously more uh, client-oriented, uh, there's a lot of components. But uh, more and more, it's about obviously 
Uh, the media coverage, it used to be only media coverage, you know, printing and article and journalists when I started. Now it's about the billion of impressions that you have online. But I would say one of the new trends for watches and luxury, uh, sorry, watches and, uh, and jewelry, it's about uh, a new uh, return on investment that is basically sales, which is really new. Uh, when I say new, it's about uh, six, seven years ago. Uh, Von Cliff is one of the best examples, I think, where they started, um, and Nicola Boss, which is the global CEO, but also the creative director, uh, come up with that strategy where now five or six times a year, they have those very high-end jewelry dinner where it's the opportunity for the client to have a true experience and not buy at the store, but buy during the party. Every piece that is presented to them through models walking the room are unique piece of jewelry from bracelet, obviously, to necklaces and earrings and so on. And it's an excitement and it's a win-win situation where Van Cleef is selling more jewelry uh, thanks to those uh, dinners. And the clients are so happy to buy it in these exciting environments with their husband, with their wife, uh, with friends, and having that, you know, special, unique storytelling afterwards to tell to tell their community that they flew all the way to California, they flew all the way to Capri, and they had that beautiful evening where they bought that uh amazing piece of um, of jewelry. So that's another return on investment that we didn't have before, before right. we used to make people dream and after they had to go to the store to purchase. Now you can, at the end of the night, count how many millions of dollars of jewelry has been sold through just one evening. I think when you have the excitement and you make people really connect with the product, let's take advantage of it. Let's have them uh, order it and we can deliver sometime, you know, in their home, can deliver in the hotel if they've been traveling for, for the event. We make the thing even, you know, more exciting. Right. Uh, so for limited edition, uh, that's usually what, what counts the most for the client. They know there is a limited number of products. Uh, you are the first one. Uh, we introduce the product today to you. Uh, there is only a couple hundred people in the room. If you want it, uh, we suggest that you order it today. Uh, you um, you put a da- you put a deposit because uh, in a couple of days from now, maybe you know someone else uh, will find out about that product and right. will just buy it. So that's um, that's a smart way of engaging and make everybody you know feel special. The client is is happy, and obviously the brand is is also making money. You've done some amazing events, and I've seen a few of them. I was wondering if you could share. A couple of them, uh, I think perhaps the um, uh, the Autumn RPGA one with LeBron James. When we got the brief, and it was for limited edition by LeBron James, uh, and um, it was important for Audemars Piguet to make sure that we are uh, speaking about the craftsmanship of the watch. Uh, so we decided to uh, basically invite LeBron James on stage and have him put his hand into a white, beautiful, um, branded Audemars Piguet box. And when he's put his hand inside the box, we you can see in the large video screen that we had during the event, we started to scan his wrist, measure the wrist, and slowly but surely build the watch live on his wrist with all the elements of craftsmanship coming together. So for three minutes, everybody was just focusing and looking at that watch being built, and it was about the craftsmanship and the beauty and the aesthetic and all the mechanism coming all together. Obviously, it was a trick. It was a 3D video uh, that we were playing for everybody, and the magic happened when at the end of those three minutes, he took the hand out of the box and he had the real beautiful watch uh, retail $51,000 at the time, uh, available only uh, 600 pieces. And uh, I think it was a wow moment when I was telling you about leveraging emotion. 
Nobody understood how we make that happen. But the most important for me was to make sure that those people could focus on the watch, understand the craftsmanship uh, of the watch. Because when you launch a watch, it's not, you know, I launch also luxury cars, I launch a lot of different products. The watch is so small that when you have 600 people, how do you make sure that they're all going to be almost, you know, inside the watch for a couple of minutes and look at it in a very different way? And we managed to do that. And that was a really, uh, a really nice finding. And we never do two ideas twice. So for every product, we find a new way of making it interesting and emotional. And that was, uh, th- that, that was a true, uh, that was a true success uh, yeah. for that specific yeah, one. Yeah. And you, uh, you incorporated 3d technology on in it and you were seeing more events where they are incorporating augmented reality. I don't think virtual reality is, is really part of the events anymore. Augmented reality is, is, uh, easier to, uh, implement in these events. Are you seeing any of your clients asking about augmented reality or any other emerging technology? I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's slowly coming. Uh, clients are still worried about how is my product going to look? Uh, is my diamond going to really look as beautiful as, as it is in, in, in reality? Uh, you also want to make sure we usually do collective experience, and sometimes those experiences um, could be more like personal. So it's slowly developing, but I would say uh, nobody has found the magic trick yet uh, to make it uh, to make it uh, an easy uh, an easy win. But yes, we are working on a few projects for 2020. Cannot disclose yet, but where technology is going to be obviously more and more uh, part of the mix. But let's remember that technology. AR, VR are just an additional tool, like you said, you know, fireworks. Right? Right. It doesn't matter if you don't have a good storytelling, if you don't have a good product, when you're going to do those three moments where you're going to be in the middle of a virtual world, if there is no storytelling, if the execution and the production is poor, the end result will be poor. So technology for me, it's just another tool. Uh, and we're just trying to focus once more, once again, on, on what's the story first and can technology deliver the story and can we make people dream through technology? It's not there yet, but we're, 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 we're you know, close to it. So for the people out there that are looking to put on events for their clients, whether luxury or not, what do you think are the maybe the three essential um, things that they need to think about? So calling us, calling us, calling us. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I think <laughs> I think they should. Uh, I, I mean, uh, like you know, exclusivity. Or, yes. Yeah. No. I yes. Or, for sure. I think there's one that is close to exclusivity is to, to make sure people feel like they have a special access. Special access to the product, to the CEO, to the brand, to the factory, to the new product. But I think uh, access is uh, access is very uh, is very important. Um, and the meaningfulness that I was speaking about could be anywhere. It could be just on the choice of the venue could be on the menu. I think there's a lot to do now and I will challenge you know our clients all the time about uh, food and beverages. I think those have been classic things of inviting a celebrity chef, doing uh, really high-end catering menus. We're trying to bring also storytelling into the food and beverages. We're working with a lot of food designers. So I would say access is one. I will say now that food and beverages is part of every event. How do you make it more compelling? Uh, and also helping you uh, delivering your your messages. And the third one for me, which I touched on really quickly, you still want that uh, element of surprise. Uh, And I think that's, you know, that's so delightful when a client at the end come to you and and you can feel, uh, you know, we had a couple years ago, uh, Aretha Franklin, 
uh, as a singer for L'Oreal, and she was a surprise to the guest. Uh, I could see those ladies, you know, watching the Queen of Soul entering the room and having some tears in their eyes. And uh, that's that's what we're trying to do. And the element of surprise, I would say, in the luxury field is, is always welcome. The Aretha Franklin story, which uh, I had heard and was really moved me when I first heard it. I don't know. Are you able to share a little bit more about that uh, event? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was an event for for L'Oréal, uh, and they were welcoming their best client, eight hundred people into into New York City, and uh, we came up with them. So we had to be inspired by the city. It was in New York City. It's 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 in a different city every uh, every year. Uh, so we designed first uh, a Broadway show that was hundred percent a cappella. Because for me, uh, New York City and specifically entertainment, which was the mandatory yes, 45 minutes of entertainment on stage, I said, for me, uh, entertainment in New York is Broadway, and for me, New York is the energy. Energy on Broadway for me means a cappella. 45 singers, young singers singing uh, the best uh, songs of, uh, of Broadway. And uh, the global CEO called us back and said, I love the idea, I love the energy, I love the youth, um, but we are the global leader in beauty, and we need an iconic uh, someone. And um, we had a lot of discussion, but I wanted a woman, and I wanted a legend, and I think Aretha Franklin was was just uh, such a symbol, and um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was touching, you know, when I found out that she passed. Uh, she, was, uh, she was such a, you know, strong woman, uh, but also uh, very kind and uh, she she did a great job you know she uh, I think the magic came when she sat down and she started to play the piano uh, she's a great she was a great singer but obviously a very also good pianist and I think that moment where the light went down everybody was basically looking at her and she put the hands on the piano and she started to play with that beautiful voice that all know about. That's where uh, people were like, wow, L'Oréal is giving us something special tonight in New York City. That's a special trade. And I think uh, people are still thankful today for that uh, couple, um, you know, couple minutes uh, listening to her at the piano. I uh, I really enjoyed it uh, personally, too. Yeah, that's that's a memorable experience for sure. Yes, sir. I'm sure it moved people to tears. Yes. There. So let's move off the events. Uh, not, I know it's near and dear to your heart, and you really are a thought leader in the luxury industry. And the industry is changing so much. The definition of luxury is, is changing. I was just reading this um, Luxury Institute came out with the State of the Luxury Industry Report, and they asked affluent consumers around the globe to define luxury. And they use words like high quality and expensive, good service to describe them. But they also said comfortable, unique, exclusive. Where is luxury going? So I'm just to give you, because, uh, you know, podcast is luxury item. So definition of a luxury item is something that is unnecessary. That's important. Secondly, is something that uh, it's, let's say, desirable. And it's either very expensive or very difficult to obtain. That's the definition of a luxury item. Now, my job, as I don't sell any luxury item, but we sell experiences, obviously I'm pretty happy when I hear now the millennials, as you are saying, they don't want right. to own luxury. Right. They want experiences, so maybe they will not take a loan to have a luxury car, but they will go on a luxury trip every year. Uh, so 
I mean, if you look at macroeconomics, so you see luxury is becoming um, more and more accessible. You know, countries like China and a bunch of other countries, Russia, Brazil, India are opening to luxury. So you have a lot more consumers today than, you know, 10, 10 20, 30 years ago. So how do you, as a brand, still make it authentic and special for everybody when now you're almost, you know, mass manufacturing uh, all those products? So that's one of the challenges that you have. The second challenge is obviously that now digital is disrupting everything. So retail, it's not the only way of acquiring or booking a trip. How do you, uh, you know, we used to go to our travel agent. Now people go online and just book it. And it's the same for, you know, for luxury has to also adapt like everybody else. And I think the third big element for me is that millennials are showing us um, that they want obviously to be in a more sustainable consumption so everybody has to adapt. You know, having a Lamborghini SUV now with ton of gallons of, uh, you know, of, you know, those are not um, luxury anymore. So that's why you go with electric cars. That's why when you're a diamond, you want to make sure that you can track it, where it comes from. So everybody is making an effort now. And I think it's good for the planet anyway. But the consumption of luxury goods is really uh, is really changing for those three things. More and more people are accessing luxury. Luxury, it's not only about retail anymore. Digital is, is really the what makes the difference. And third, you want to make sure that luxury is a responsible um, luxury. And when people manage to do those three things, um, and, you know, proudly, I would say that the global groups such as, uh, when I say proudly, it's because I'm French, but, mm-hmm. the, you know, LVMH, uh, Richemont, you know, caring, a francophone group, let's say, or French group, uh, I think they manage to have those huge conglomerates, you know, of... Um, huge financial um, group, but each single brand is really, like we say in French, uh, une maison, like a house where they try to uh, make sure um, that there is no mass, uh, you know, luxury. It's still very special everywhere you go. I think there are, all those luxury brands are doing better in terms of responsibility. And I think now they are embracing fully digital. When I started in 2008, it was a mess digitally. Facebook was a mess. When right. I came here, there was 11 Facebook pages about Chanel, and none of them were owned by Chanel. Can right. you imagine? Yeah. So all that has changed, and I think uh, now people are really uh, also you know, giving credit to those luxury brands. They uh, finally adapted to that new world and now are really performing well. So where do you see the luxury industry going in five years? I think, it's, um, I think we're going to have more and more um, creation of luxury services. I think product obviously at one point are limited, but I think services, when you look at travel, I think there's still a lot um, to be done. I think uh, one of the thing that is really rare today for everybody is time. So that's true luxury. And that's when people want to make sure that the free time they have, they're going to spend it with their family. And they are going to spend it, uh, you know, in a more intimate way. So my focus um, personally uh, has been about how to how to make sure that those, you know, couple of weeks a year where we can really get away um, and hopefully not uh, go on our, you know, smartphone to answer email. We have that, um, you know, 
true luxury about uh, family and personal uh, personal time. And I think for the you know for the big group, it's it's being very attentive about the new trends. Uh, I think if you're not sustainable today, if you don't commit to uh, doing good, giving back to society. Uh, if you don't adapt to all those new platforms that are um, coming in terms of e-commerce and social media. So it's not one thing. I think it's, it's, it's a bunch of things. Obviously, CRM is also uh, something that is uh, more and more, uh, you know, data privacy. I mean, there's a lot of issues. And when you're a global CEO, you want to make sure that you're um, looking at all of them uh, at the same time. You cannot pick and choose. You have to embrace uh, all that um, new uh, revolution, and uh, data is a big one. You know, uh, you're going to be expect you're going to expect that luxury brand will always do better than the other ones, and they are uh, really close to you. You spend a lot of money for a luxury brand. You want to make sure that when you give your data to them, they they know you personally. Uh, all that's going to be protected, and I know it's something that um, in Europe specifically we are very um, very sensitive about. And uh, as a luxury brand, whatever you touch, uh, you are expected to do it better than everybody else. So it's uh, it's a it's a challenge on a daily basis. But yes, I agree with you. Um, brands are a little bit more modern. The luxury brands are more modern today, and I think they're in a very good shape for for the future. So my final question, which I ask all my guests, is the luxury item question. Um, so if you were stranded on a desert island, and you could only take one luxury item with you. And it can't be a form of transportation, and it can't be anything that has requires mobile service because there won't be any mobile service where, where you are. What would that one luxury item be? First, I will assume that when you say desert island, everybody think of something really sunny and hot, which it could be very freezing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, so I would like to be the desert island in Antarctica <laughs> uh, because that's one of the places in the world I didn't go to and might disappear. And that would be my first, uh, my first, uh, my first choice. Um, unfortunately, I don't really have like you know like a luxury item go to that I would love to uh, to have to make sure um, I survive. Um, I think obviously my daughter, which is not an item, uh, but I will make sure that she's uh, she's uh, she's with me. And I will maybe say just uh, a pair of sunglasses, and that will be uh, that will be it. Be okay, good. Uh, Thomas, uh, you were great. I really appreciate you coming in. Uh, if, the, if they need to contact you, if any of our listeners need to contact you, how, what's the best way to do that? And we have, uh, you know, I guess you can email me. I think that's the personal touch. You know, we always try to make it very, uh, very personal. You can what just, is your email uh, address? So thomas.cirano, S-E-R-R-A-N-O, at uh, havas.com. And I will answer personally to you. It's like, you know, we, we feel like we're a little atelier concierge service. Uh, we decided to be a small, dedicated team to our client, and uh, the best way is just you know email me, and I will be uh, I will be glad to uh, to listen to your challenge and make it, make your dream uh, a reality. <laughs> On that note, thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you, Scott. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. 
Until next time.